Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Sesternino here with our Game Changer preview number 10. That's right, only one more to go. After today, we've got a, another fun one for you as we are going to be talking about Sierra Easton and Brad Culpepper. It's our all blood versus water spectacular edition today. First up on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Sierra Easton with Matt Ligori. We'll go through everything from her two seasons of the show, what she's going to do differently. Again, she seems very, very confident. More confident than I am in her, I think, going into this season in these pregame interviews. She's definitely talking a big game going into the new season. We'll talk through why she might be confident or maybe she shouldn't be heading into season 34 with Matt Ligori. And then we're going to talk about somebody that she started the game with back in Survivor Blood versus Water, Brad Culpepper. He's back. and We're ready to talk about his game and what we can expect from him with Ari Ferrari here on the All Blood versus Water episode. If you missed it earlier this week, we have our Sandra episode up. We had our Andrea and Beast Mode Cowboy up all on the website. If you missed those, you can always subscribe to the podcast. Rob has a website.com slash iTunes. Before we get into Sierra, I've got a word from our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. And never before have we had a more perfectly timed sponsor for an episode as 5-4 Club sponsors this episode of the podcast. 5-4 Club, the LA-based menswear brand. 5 into 4 is going to have you dressed to the nines just like Brad Culpepper with their 15 years of fashion experience. For just $60 a month, 5-4 Club will send you two to four seasonally curated items of clothing to help you build a thorough and well-balanced wardrobe. Your wardrobe should be giving you confidence, just like Sierra has. Let them help you build that confidence and broaden your understanding of putting looks together. When you look great, you'll feel great. What you do for you guys out there, you tell them the profile that you want, whether it's a classic, casual, forward, or mix for wherever you're going, whether it's the office or the club 5-4 has got you covered. They'll send you items every single month to help you build that wardrobe. With free shipping, they send everything direct to your doorstep, so you'll have plenty of options to diversify your look. And finally, you can be stylish without breaking the bank. And to get a couple of items for $60 is a very good deal. You go to the store, sometimes you see one shirt is more than $60. So it's a great value. And go to 5-4 Club and use our promo code RHAP at sign up, and you'll get a double package for your first month of 5-4 Club. That's $240 worth of clothes for just $60. This order expires March 31st. So 5-4 Club, just like Brad Culpepper told you, go and check it out with promo code RHAP and get a double package of clothes for the first month with the promo code RHAP at 5-4-Club.com. Okay, so let's get into talking about Sierra. And this was definitely a fun one to go through because, of course, with Sierra, you know you're going to get fireworks. Lots of interesting discussion about her two seasons. So we'll go through it all and tell you what to expect from Sierra Easton on her return to Survivor here in my conversation with Matt Lagori. All right, everybody, I'm very excited to get into another one of our game changers. And today we're going to be talking about a woman who makes more big moves than U-Haul. She's a two-time Survivor from Survivor Blood vs. Water 
and Survivor Cambodia. Sierra Easton is coming back to Survivor. And this season, we have a great Sierra Easton expert from my old stomping grounds, Long Island. Please welcome to the podcast, Matt Ligori. Matt, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Very excited to be here. And I'm uh, very excited that you got her name right. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, the first time that you talked about Sierra, you actually said something a little different. I have the clip for you. It's uh, really quick. Let me just play it. The glue tribe. Uh, she was <laughs> playing with her daughter, Clara. Mm-hmm. We have also this season. Yep. Clara, you were, uh, <laughs> you could call yourself the uh, survivor name changer. You got that one right. <laughs> yes. Now, was that a typo or, you know, I, I remember recording that podcast. I think it was they announced the Survivor Blood vs. Water cast. And I think I was like, this is when I was still working uh, at not podcasting. And I believe I recorded that podcast like at seven or eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I don't know how I got Nicole up for that. But we did a podcast before I left for work in the morning. So it right, was so a pre-coffee name reading there. For- well, you fixed it by the end of it. And so far, I haven't heard anything about Clara since then. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll talk about Sierra today. And she was just a glimmer in Laura Moret's eye way back when, before Survivor Blood vs. Water started. And now here she is to outdo the tradition of the Moret Easton family. She will become the first three-time Survivor in the family when she returns for Survivor Game Changers. All right. So that. I know you are a big Sierra fan. Uh, we will get into that. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself for people who may not know you from some of the other things that you've been doing uh, with Jordan Parhar or in the patron group over the years. Yeah, so uh, if you are in the patron group, you probably have seen my name before. Um, but been listening to the podcast for a while now, which is just to tie in here. The uh, the first season that I listened to, uh, RHAP, was for Blood versus Water. So I've been but a lifelong Survivor fan, uh, recent Big Brother fan, and um, you know the past few years, just like a bunch of the other people who are listening to this now, uh, RHAP has been a very big you know part of my life, and it's so much fun to you know go through and and analyze these players to no end and just talk about what they've done wrong and what they've done right. And, um, just for me, the reason that I'm, you know, so connected with uh, with Sierra is uh, she's just one of the first players that when I became enamored in this world of online talking about Survivor and everything, she's the first one that kind of caught my eye. So that's what I'm doing here. Matt, could you also just mention briefly the podcast you did with Jordan Parhar last month about the Survivor Weakest Link? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, talking to Jordan was uh, was a good way to, to shake my nerves to, for talking to you here. Never done a podcast before, so that was my first one, and I had a lot of fun with it. Jordan was uh, a lot of fun to talk to about the uh, the Survivor edition of The Weakest Link, which aired back in 2001, featured the Survivor Borneo contestants. There was, uh, you know, Rich and Sue and Dr. Sean and, you know, ultimately our winner, uh, Ramona, who <laughs> somehow did not get a slot here on uh, Survivor Game Changers after a great performance that she put up in The Weakest Link. Um, somehow she didn't get the call to come back hey, here, which is mind boggling. Maybe more deserving than some of the people that did make Game Changers. OK, yeah, Ramona uh, was important. Agree. She definitely was. And she showed she showed what she can bring to a game during that episode. So that is out there. If anybody wants to go check it out, uh, we you know, we had a lot of fun with it. So, Matt, let's get into talking about Sierra Easton. Here she is for attempt number three at Survivor. So, of course, you know, it's become such a big talking point and, of course, a meme of, hey, Sierra, did you know she voted (laughs) out her mom? She makes big moves with a Z. Everybody always says that about Sierra. You get the sense that she's even tired of hearing about it. So 
for the uninitiated, the people that just are only casually familiar with Sierra, what's the real story of Sierra Easton? Well, the real story is that these memes and all this stuff, everything that uh, she's known for, the, all of that did happen. And it, it's not like uh, any of it, you know, is fabricated or she definitely did all of this stuff. And, you know, she tried to make big moves. She voted out her mom. But look at somebody like a Rupert and you see what media in general has done to him over the years. And, it, you know, Sierra's kind of getting a similar treatment. And just the fact that, you know, everything that um, she's known for has just become extremely, extremely exaggerated over time. And it's very easy for people to look at some of these things that she's done, like voting out her mom and exaggerated so much that that's all you remember about her. Meanwhile, if you dive back into her seasons, there's a lot of little things that you'll pick up on that just show you that she really is uh, somebody who has a lot of skills for the game. She definitely isn't always going to maybe win. She might you know, come in 10th more often than she's going to come in fifth or come in first. But she's somebody who's very intelligent, somebody who's very likable. And those two things alone are things that can carry you through the game if maybe you're not so good at challenges, which is something that is definitely a, a big part of her game, that she's not very good at challenges. So she definitely has these skills that she brings to the game, but applying them, you know, she's had a little tricky of a time doing that so far. Okay, so I'm going to agree with you and I'm going to disagree with you because okay. I went back and I watched Survivor Blood versus Water shortly before Survivor Cambodia and I was extremely impressed with Sierra. I thought that, you know what, everybody's just talking about, oh, big moves. She voted out her mom. She can play. She's very subtle. She knows what she's doing. She's not afraid to make the big move. That's my winner pick. I'm calling my shot for Sierra for Survivor Second Chance. And then I watched Survivor Second Chance and I was actually a little disappointed because I thought that she came in and sort of became the caricature of herself where she ended up being the person sort of like pounding her fist like, hey, guys, we got to make big moves. We can't let that alliance end up going through. We got to flip the game. We got to try and do this. Now, maybe that was just the end result of her playing herself into a position where she was at the bottom. And that's what she was trying to get that to be the case. But I really felt like that she ended up letting the perception people had of her become who she was in that game. She definitely did. That's 100% a fair point. But something that can't be really overlooked from Cambodia with Sierra and with all the players who were there is just the fact that they went into that game having been voted in. So they felt the entire season an obligation to play for America. And Sierra knew the perception of her. She voted out her mom. She made big moves. So going into the next season, and she said this in you know post-game interviews, but it also, you know, she said it in the game and you see it, that she's... She's just got this in the back of her head that she needs to be the Sierra character. She ne she wants to give everybody what they voted her in for to to make these big moves and to not just sit around and wait until, you know, it's her turn to go or, you know, just wait until it's too late. She wanted to be the person who was being aggressive and, you know, being fearless and doing all these things to to give people a reason to want to watch her. So I want to talk through her two games and then I want to get into whether or not that she can make the adjustment she needs to make following second chance to come back 
and play for a third time or if she's already just sort of careened off the road in a direction where we can't get her back. So right. let's go back and talk about Sierra in Blood versus Water, where I think that she was uh, severely underestimated both by the people who were out there playing with her and then a lot of us who sort of observe and talk about the game. She ends up being part of this group, which were the Loved Ones tribe, the Tadhana group, in a severely compromised position being the four into nine, which I believe is out. Right. And right off the bat, she's, uh, you know, she's really not good with the challenges. Every time that they lose, everybody wants to point a finger and say, okay, who's the first person that, you know, is going to, if we take them off of our tribe, then we have a better chance at moving forward together. So, you know, immediately all fingers are being pointed at Sierra and being pointed at Katie. So she's not in a good position being outside of the guys Alliance. You know, they have the five to four new uh, numerical advantage. And on top of that, she's doing awful at the challenges. So she's not in a good position right off the bat. Okay. And of course, Brad Culpepper is there leading the charge. He is going to be with her in survivor blood versus water. So I do want to pay special attention to that relationship with her and Brad. How bad was it between Brad and Sierra in the early days of Survivor Blood versus Water? You know, it really wasn't that bad. Um, the two of them had a connection. Like I said uh, earlier, she she's just so likable, and everybody looked at her um, like she was like she's a little sister. So nobody had any bad blood towards her. The only reason that Brad was you know considering getting rid of her is I think it was episode four, and he's talking about how he really doesn't want to get rid of her, but her challenge performance is terrible, and they need to get get rid of her if they want to have a chance of moving forward. So the two of them, they got along. But I mean, you know, there was also a point earlier on where, you know, something that you'll see from Sierra is that she really does not like when people put her name out there as um, the decoy boot. And whoever is uh, actually going home thinks that Sierra is going home because somebody tells them that. So there is some tension early on because Brad is going to start telling Rachel in episode two that Sierra is the target, that Sierra is the one that's going home because she's, you know, bad at challenges and Sierra is not okay with that so immediately she realizes that in brad's eyes she's not you know at the top of his list she's definitely considered expendable so so there's some bad blood there but for the most part he does like her how responsible is sierra for what ultimately happens to brad culpepper in the fourth episode of that season when caleb speaks up at tribal council that he will be writing brad's name down she's not totally responsible it's that's way more caleb and you know that that entire move um doesn't happen unless Caleb decides at that tribal council, it clicks in his head that this is a good time to get rid of Brad and his relationship that he's built with Sierra has become so strong that why why don't I just keep somebody who's really close with me and that I can move forward with and, you know, be comfortable around with Sierra rather than somebody like Brad. So um, what Sierra did to get herself to that point is building such a good relationship with Caleb. But that entire move to get rid of Brad is is way more Caleb than it is Sierra. She ends up surviving the Brad Culpepper era of blood versus water. Uh, she gets to a point where they are going to now swap up the tribes. And now here comes Hayden. Here comes Tyson. Here comes Aris. She ends up making bonds with Hayden and Tyson, which are going to carry her to very deep into this game. Was she seeking to make those relationships or did they find her? I think it was uh, definitely a little bit of both. She knew what she was doing from the beginning, which is something that we don't see right away. We see it a lot, you know, a lot later in the game that she is constantly thinking. But uh, earlier in the season, the reason that so many people underestimate her is because we don't see 
where she's thinking all the time. We just see, okay, here's this weak girl that's, you know, getting through challenges and not doing well. So um, I definitely think in the back of her mind that she was trying to build these relationships and trying to solidify something to keep herself going in the game. And Tyson and Hayden and, you know, everybody that is on that tribe is looking at her like, okay, well, um, we're not in the part of the game anymore where it's all about winning these challenges and they like her. They want to work with her. They they think that they can control her because, you know, she's been saved so many times by the votes already. So she's what does she have to lose besides being a number for somebody else? So it's uh, it's probably a lot more of Tyson and Hayden keeping her in close as a number. But, I, you know, she was she was trying to build a relationship with them at the same time. Another thing that happens to her early on in this game is her mom gets voted out. That's, again, yes. pre swap. But how does that change the way that she's playing the game in Blood versus Water, if at all? She sees Laura at Redemption Island for the first time, and she says that, you know, Laura comes in and she's like, I knew it. I just felt it. So Laura's not out of the game for too long before uh, she ends up coming back in, you know, right uh, as soon as the tribes merge and, and she's going to come back in. But you have to think that just based on the way that uh, Sierra is talking later in the game, that it probably wasn't the worst thing in the world that... Laura was voted out so early. Sierra joins up with this crew of Jervis and Hayden and Caleb and Tyson, and they're all people who have had their loved ones taken out of the game already. So now she's got her mom gone. So now this group of people is all, um, you know, everybody who's who's lost a loved one. So in her mind, you know, it's sad to see her mom voted out. And it's, you know, now she's alone in the game, but she also has this group that now it makes her even stronger with them because now all of them are without a loved one. They don't go to a tribal council before the merge. And so they end up getting to the merge and this big plan comes together to take out Aris, uh, which is led by Tyson. Meanwhile, Aris and Vetus are sort of leading the charge to take out Laura Moret at this point once again. Yeah. And how big of a factor is Sierra in the merge vote that's going to go on? I don't think she's that big of a factor at all. I think once she gets into the merge and she has her mom back in the game, everybody's fighting for her and her mom's votes. We have the five-person alliance that she created on that side, which is Jervis, Hayden, Caleb, Tyson, and now Monica has linked back up with them. And then on the other side, you have the couples. So you have Aris and Vetus and Katie and Tina. So both sides are pretty much looking for her vote, which is going to come with Laura's vote. So I guess, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, what she decided is going to decide who's going home. But she had be, uh, she had built such a strong connection with those five, you know, before they got to the merge that it's it's not really debatable that she's going to she's going to stray away from them. So it is the deciding factor that her and Laura decide to go with that group. And then they ultimately eliminate Aris and then eventually Vetus and Tina and they get rid of them. So the, she was comfortable sticking with them. Here comes an inflection point now for Sierra. We get down to a point where I believe it's at the final eight that the only pair that's left in the game, I believe, is Laura and Sierra. And right. everybody else is has been already separated from their loved one. And so Tyson ends up asking of Sierra that we need to vote your mom out. And she ends up being on board with this plan. So let's just talk about some misconceptions that people may have about Sierra voting out her mom. Right. So she voted out her mom. And that's the the number one thing that you think of when you think of Sierra. And also you, you'll think of the fact that she didn't need to. When, when they get to that vote, Tyson has 
the numbers. He has everything ready to go, full speed ahead, that he's going to take out Laura, and he doesn't need Sierra to do it. But what Tyson wants to do is bring Sierra in because he doesn't want to lose her as an ally, and he lets her know this. And she understands just as much that Tyson needs to get rid of Laura. He doesn't have any intentions of moving forward with her, but he wants Sierra to stay in close with him. So the misconception is just the fact that people think that she's so overrated because she voted out her mom and she didn't actually need to. But it's not like this move is is bad. I don't think that she did it just for TV or anything like that to to say I voted out my mom. It, it pretty much shows her alliance that she was still with them. She's still strong with Tyson and with Jervis and with all these guys. She still wanted to work with them even though they were getting rid of her mom. She's she's on board with it. She's with them. So even though they didn't need her vote, you know, she's still going along. Yeah, it was a gang initiation more than anything. I think it was like, hey, if you want to roll with us, here's what we want you to do. She wasn't the deciding vote. She didn't stab her mom in the back. Pretty sure Laura knew it was coming. Yeah. And it wasn't that big of a deal. And it wasn't like a this uh, tremendous blindside that would take the family years to end up getting (laughs) over. No, yeah. Laura was Laura knew that it was coming and she you know they have these uh few scenes in the episode before and and in this episode that Sierra starts feeling like she's the one telling her mom how to play the game and she feels like the ro- the role reversal is coming in strong now and uh Laura feels it too and she's proud of her and she you know she says all throughout the time that she realizes she's going that she doesn't like it and she's not happy about it but she sees that Sierra is thinking and she's playing the game and she couldn't be more proud of it so she's not upset about it when she realizes that Sierra's doing something good for her game. This is another big moment that comes up because there is this battle that is brewing at the final seven where we get down to that. We have on one side, we have Tyson and Jervis and Monica. And then on the other side, you have the pair of Hayden and Caleb and they, the new players outnumber the veterans. And so they would like to make a move here and take that four of original Todd Hanna people and vote out Tyson and Jervis and Monica. And so Hayden and Caleb have a chat with Sierra and she goes back and talks to Tyson about this. So this is a controversial move at the time. I remember really poo-pooing this move at the time (laughs) for her. I think on the rewatch, I didn't think it was as bad. But what did you think about this uh, going back and watching this final seven move for Sierra? Well, it had its its ups and downs. I mean, these three episodes, you know, after you know, the mom voting and then this episode and then the next one, we really get to see inside of Sierra's mind. And we see that she's thinking and that she's she's really trying to find a way to get herself to the end. And now that she's, you know, got her mom out of the way, she's like, OK, I can actually do this. And one point that you guys brought up in the evolution of strategy, you know, the blood versus water chapter and then um, she validated it after the season. She said that, yes, this is you know something that was going through her mind, is that her first season watching the show and what got her into Survivor was Survivor Samoa, which is the season that her mom was on. She saw the entire season. She sees the end of that game where you have Russell Hans at the end next to Natalie White, who's going to go on to win the season. Russell Hans is this uh, awful villain who, you know, awful social game. And we, we know the Russell Hans story. And then you have Natalie White, who is the sweet Southern girl who's made all these friendships and relationships and, and eventually ends up getting the win. So in Sierra's mind, she's looking at this final seven. There's th- two different sides. And on one side, she has Tyson, Jervis, and 
Monica, which is the side she's going to end up going with. And the reason that she's going to stick with them is because she sees Tyson somewhat as the Russell. And now, you know, no one's calling Tyson Russell. It's just the perception out there is reality. Like, you know, we, we say that all the time. So she's looking at Tyson saying Tyson is a villain. Everybody, you know, he's going after everybody viciously and he's taking down people, but he's doing it, you know, kind of maliciously and, and she sees it. So she's going to say, well, why don't I try to find a way to the end with Tyson? And then I'll sit at the end and I have all these friends on the jury. My mom's on the jury and they're all going to vote for me. There's no way that they won't. And she's thinking in her mind that, uh, you know, Jervis is going to be there too. And Jervis is getting laughed at every time he goes to tribal council. So he, he's not a factor in this at all. And a lot of credit for this goes to Tyson because he does such a good job of convincing her that she is the third in this final three. You know, it's not Monica. Monica's just there because they're nice to her. And, you know, she's she's just a, a, the fourth pretty much. And it's eventually that Sierra is going to realize that she isn't the fourth and that, you know, we'll get to that when we get to that. But she's going to choose to go with this side because she's looking at the other people and she's got Hayden and Caleb and uh, Katie. And she's trying to play the game, but she sees that they're trying to play the game. And she doesn't want to go with them because they're, you know, they're also the newbies. They're also likable. They also have friends in the jury. So it's a lot safer for her to go with the villain rather than someone like Katie, who we might not see as a threat. But Katie's already got three votes at, you know, Redemption Island or on the jury. She's already got Tyson and Vetus and uh, her mom is already voted out. And that's already three locked up votes for Katie. So it does makes sense why she chose to go with them. Whether or not that was the smartest move is up for debate. And then at that point at the final seven, she is so in lockstep with Tyson and Jervis that she's sitting out of the challenge to eat with them. She's totally in that group. There's also a a pretty impressive moment for her. I believe it's here at final seven where there's some question over, does Katie Collins have the idol? And Sierra gives a really good fake out to Katie Collins. And she tells her, Katie, I know you don't have the idol. And Katie's like, wait, how do you know? It's like, cause I have it. Like, oh man. Okay. And she totally bluffs her into revealing she doesn't have the idol. Right. This has got to be Sierra's best scene from Blood versus Water. It's the scene that you see 100% that Sierra has the ability to play the game in her. She has these skills. And you know, Katie and her, Katie and Sierra just laying on the hammock and Katie has nothing to lose at this point. She's all of her allies have been voted out. It's the majority alliance plus her. So, you know, they're having this conversation and and Katie's just like, yeah, like I'm really not worried tonight because I have the idol. And it takes about, you know, a half a second, but it clicks in Sierra's mind that she's going to, she's going to test this and she's going to try to see if she can get it out of Katie that no, you don't. So she says that exactly what you just said. She's like, uh, no, you don't have it because I have it. And Katie within two seconds, it's like, you stole my idol. So, you know, she gets it out of her without even breaking a sweat. And you're going to have more competitive players to to face against rather than a Katie Collins, who that might not be so easy to get an answer out of. Mm-hmm. But we definitely, you know, can see that she's thinking. And to the point, it was such a good move that Tyson begins to start to worry about Sierra. He's like, hey, right. that was that was a good move. That's something I would have done. I gotta watch right, so out she, for her. She puts her foot in her mouth by telling Tyson, "Oh, look at this awesome thing I just did. I just, I just thought of this really cool idea while I was talking to Katie, and I got it out of her." And Tyson's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, I'm really happy that I have this ally, but wow, she's a lot smarter than I think. Like, than than I thought." He says at one point, like a, a specific quote, he says, "Is Sierra is a really strong underestimated." player. So he doesn't realize this right off the bat, but once he starts to pick up on it, she is right on his radar. Calls her a hellraiser also. Says teenage 
I, I have that quote too. Teenage mom, Hellraiser. She can look you in the eyes and lie better than anyone else. Here is the other big spot in this game for Sierra. It's the infamous Russell Feathers episode from December 4th, 2013. And we end up with Sierra and Hayden and Katie going to rocks at the final six instead of Sierra sticking with Tyson Jervis and Monica. Okay, so let's just talk this through in detail because voting out her mom is sort of window dressing. This is the real Sierra signature move. So we're going to get to this point where we have the final uh, the final six and um you know, Laura gave uh, Sierra a clue to an idol, so she she's sharing that with Tyson and Jervis and Monica. So she's really feeling comfortable with them. She's feeling like, um, well, at least specifically with Tyson and Jervis, she's she's feeling like, okay, this is good. We're gonna go get rid of Hayden. We're gonna get rid of Katie, and then we're gonna eventually get rid of Monica. I'm in the finals, and she has this ready to go. But it's once the reward challenge comes around, and Jervis picks Tyson and Monica to go on the reward with him. So. It's right there that I think it starts to click for her that she's like, hmm, that's interesting. Why did they take Monica? They're going to try to convince her that, you know, we we only took her because we need to keep making her feel comfortable. But when we get to the tribal council that night is when things really start to, you know, unfold that um, Monica and Jervis do not do very well at this tribal council. They start counting out and Monica is going to say, well, four is better than sixth. And then Jervis counts them out and he's counting down one, two, three. And then he lands on number four and who is it? Sierra. So Hayden's pointing that out to her and he's saying, they're counting you out right now. And they're saying that right now you're four. But with him, it's one, two, and three. With with Hayden, Katie, and Sierra, the least you can get is three. So without going to rock, she's going to end up at number four on that side. So eventually, you know, Sierra is going to realize that. And she says to them, unless somebody's voting my way, I'm drawing rocks. How much of this was premeditated before tribal council? Or was this as David Wright as one said, a live tribal. It probably was uh, was more a live a live tribal, but it was definitely stirring in Sierra's mind. I think when you're out there, and I mean you've played the game, I haven't, so you might agree with this or not, but you want to believe the best in the players that you're working with, and you want to believe that they're telling you the truth and that they're honest with you, so that you know the plan that you have in your head that you know in Sierra's head, she's going to the end with Tyson and Jervis, and she wants to believe that's true. But I think in the back of her mind, she's starting to realize that it might not be true. And it's just, it's stirring and it's stirring. But when Hayden full on pointed out, this becomes a live tribal. Um, I think it definitely is at this tribal that she's, that it clicks for her. And she's like, okay, I, I can't do this. I have to go with the other side and shake something up. Otherwise I am going to be in fourth place. And that's not what I came here for. Because I'm sure Hayden and Caleb had been like peppering her over the last couple of days, especially before the vote where Caleb went home of like, look, you're not really in with them. Monica yeah. is in with them. Trust us. No, 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 You're crazy. And then all of a sudden <laughs> it wasn't so crazy. So exactly. she goes to rocks here at this point. And again, great moment in survivor history katie collins ends up going out so she stays in the game she survives the rocks but now she is in a severely compromised position with just her and hayden although somebody is going to be coming back from redemption island eventually who probably will be an ally but unfortunately either her or hayden is going to go out so with her back against the wall here at the final five what does she do to make sure that hayden is the person that goes home 
So uh, when she gets to this point, it's her and Hayden at the bottom, and she's going to try to get the target off of her. But now that she's shown all the other players that she's such a wild card and she's ready to move all over the place, it's hard for them to to not want to get rid of her while they have a chance. So she does end up winning this immunity at Final Five, and then eventually Tina's going to come back in the game, so we're back at Final Five. And uh, she doesn't do a, a terrible job here, but there's not much left that she can do once Tina's back in the game and the two of them are on the bottom again before she goes out right an impressive immunity win for her i believe it's the you gotta dig deep uh word scramble that she ends up getting the immunity on but now in that moment when she put her hand into the bag of rocks the riverboat gambler sierra is born and now she's got nothing to lose she's got her back against the wall seemingly every single tribal she's going to go to in the rest of her survivor career and this is when we really have the sierra who she's trying to pull in monica and saying hey monica vote with me and hayden let's make the final three it could be us we can do it we can shake things up monica says no uh hayden goes out tina comes in then she's trying to get people you know her and tina are saying like hey come on monica let's Let's do this. And again, nothing. Um, she will ultimately then go out at the final five here in Blood versus Water before Tina even. And so that's going to do it for Sierra in the game. But then when we get to the reunion show of Survivor Blood versus Water, I do feel like this legacy of Sierra and the big moves is really cemented by Jeff Probst who, when he calls on her at the reunion show, he tells the audience and all the Survivor fans, now this is how you play the game. And she gets like a big ovation. Right. This is where he starts pumping her up, and this is where her narrative starts shifting to. This is Sierra. She plays the game. She makes big moves. And this is why it's not even a question that eventually she's going to be brought back. We know it. Jeff knows it. Jeff loves her. He he loved everything that Sierra brought to this season. And he's, you know, like I said, he's creating this narrative for her that she, she played the game. She made big moves. And now we're going into Cambodia, and that's that's the idea behind Sierra. That's what everyone's thinking of. They're like, Sierra made big moves, and she's going to be a firecracker in this thing yes queen yes <laughs> come on she can do it now she ends up going back for survivor cambodia i had a chance to talk to her back in may of 2015 did you listen to any of my interview with her from before she left for second chances i did and she was uh i actually remember just from the time it wasn't that long ago but i remember that she wasn't necessarily trying to do many interviews i think that she knew that she had a very good shot at going out there again. And just like some of the other ones that uh, went out there, some people tried not to do as much interview, as many interviews and as much press before the game because they didn't want to, whether it was put out their strategy ahead of time or if they didn't actually have time because, you know, they were getting ready to go play Survivor. So she had to make arrangements for her children and all this stuff. So she wasn't doing much beforehand to let us in on what she wanted to do out there. But she did eventually do the interview with you. She was the last one to do one with you. Mm-hmm. And she was telling you how she wanted to uh, go out there and pretty much exactly what she tells us when she does get out there, that she wants to you know, play fearlessly and she doesn't want to just sit around and, and wait until it's too late this time. And you know, she, she's playing for America now. And so did you feel like going back and listening to it that the seeds of what went wrong were already planted? Yeah, it's, I think it, she really quickly lost uh, sight of what she actually did in the game. The, the scene with Katie, you know, is 
probably her most impressive thing that she did out there just from our perspective of, of seeing everything on the show. And I think she's already forgetting things like that because she's already having to buy into everything that uh, Jeff Probst is is pumping into her character. And that's starting to be what she's thinking. When I spoke to her before Survivor Second Chances, did she talk at all about the possibility of playing with Brad? She, she might have touched on it, but I don't know if anybody really believed that Brad was going to get voted into that season. So, <laughs> and, and she did say that she wasn't uh, talking to anybody really. She said that she was just kind of focusing on getting everything handled at home. But I mean, I, I don't think anybody was under the false assumption that Brad was going to make it there out. Was there was no mention of her maybe talking with Troyzan before the game. No, okay. <laughs> I don't think she, she said she wasn't talking to anybody, okay. especially Troyzan. All right. So oh. then let's get into the meat of Survivor Cambodia. She ends up really on a, a pretty good magic carpet ride for a while. She ends up on the Bayon Tribe. They end up winning immunity those first two votes. Do we have any sort of sense of what her place was in the early days of Bayon? Uh, well, she she was pretty comfortably snug and tight in there she she was part of this this love tribe and everybody was was all happy to be out there and they were calm and they were relaxed and just for the fact that her tribe was doing so well for the first two votes and everything and she didn't really have to worry about much she was making relationships she's weaving the uh, the palm fronds with with Cass and with all the girls and they're you know they're connecting in there they're not really worrying about each other yet because they don't have to so you know she's talking to us about how she wants to do all these things that she wants to do. She wants to be fearless and all this stuff, but uh, we don't really have much to to see early on. All we see is that she's thinking and that she's building her bonds for, you know, the early part of the game. Okay, so then we have our swap, which happens where we go from two tribes to three tribes. She ends up going to Takeo. They, too, would not go to a tribal council. Terry Dietz is going to leave the game, but Let's get into a little bit of her time on Takeo. Do you feel like that she was set up there well? She she absolutely was. She had this 4-2 numerical advantage when Terry was in the game. Uh, Kelly and Terry are coming in from the other tribe. So you had Joe, Cass, Keith, and Sierra against Kelly and Terry. So automatically she's at a advantage. There's a 4 to 2 numbers advantage and she's got a close relationship with Cass. So having, you know, her number 1 in the game with her and she also has you know this four person alliance that if they did have to go to tribal council they would have been fine but this tribe is also just incredibly strong they have joe they have keith kelly terry all of these guys and even the girls who are are great at challenges so she says that she's not worried any, or anything she's confident they're a strong tribe and they shouldn't lose which does make you a little bit worried early on if you're watching them and you see how confident they are that they're not going to lose you think oh well maybe maybe they probably will if they're overconfident about it but um they end up not having to worry about anything she goes into you know the next tribe swap and she had just secured this five person alliance with the people remaining besides Terry after he's been taken out of the game and she has this five person alliance that is ready to go full force into the merge. In the words of Jim Ross business is about to pick up right now because we have Sierra staying at Takeo when we go down to two tribes with Cass but we have a lot of other people showing up. Uh, we're going to have Abby Maria, Spencer, Andrew Savage, Kelly Wigglesworth, and Wu all showing up. And really, we are going back to a version of the Bayon tribe where Andrew Savage is back to calling the shots. Andrew Savage wants to take out Spencer, but part of the plan, we need a decoy. We need to tell Spencer a fake plan. He's too smart. We got to tell him something 
oh, why don't we tell him everybody is voting out Sierra? And that's not going to go over well. If you watched Blood versus Water, you're, you're going to know that Sierra's not okay with that. She never wants her name out there unless she's well, she doesn't want her name out there at all. She wants somebody else's name because not only does it show that she's on the bottom of whoever's putting her name out there, you don't want your name out there at all. It's like, you know, like in Big Brother, you can't go home if you're not on the block. If your name is out there, there's always the possibility that things could get turned around. And if you're the person with the name out there, then why wouldn't they get turned around on you? Cass and Sierra make a big power play here. They end up bringing in Abby Maria and Spencer, which is extremely unlikely to have uh, Cass and Spencer working together. And maybe part of that was a good relationship between Spencer and Sierra. But they end up taking out Wu. Do you feel like was this an overreaction on the part of Sierra and Cass to make this move here? Or was it a good move and they just did not see a merge coming at 13? Even if they saw the merge coming, it's definitely a good move for them. Wu is not somebody who's going to go forward working with Sierra or with Cass or or any of, you know, Spencer and Abby are also going to be in on this vote with them. Wu is not going to work with them. So even if they wanted to try to maintain some kind of relationship with Andrew Savage, which they really can't by making this move, it, it doesn't make any sense for them to take out Spencer here. Uh, Sierra has a relationship being formed with Spencer. Cass and Spencer have history, and and the show is going to highlight it to you know until you're completely sick of it, which I'm sure a lot of people did get sick of it. But there there is a relationship there. There's something that they can work with, which is way more than you can say about Wu. And when Savage is taking control and he's saying, okay, we're we're going to put Sierra's name out there, and they're not okay with that. Abby is not somebody who's a big fan of Wu. Cass isn't somebody who's a big fan of Wu. So Sierra is very easily able to get these people on board and say, all right, Spencer, Savage is actually coming after you. So you should work with us because otherwise you're going home. And, you know, Wu's written down Abby's name, what, seven times by now. So it's it's a very simple solution to target Wu here. Now, unfortunately for Sierra and for Cass, the merge is going to come at 13 and Andrew Savage is going to get saved by that merge, at least for yes. a vote. And so we have a 13 person merge and we're going to have a few people who are now going to be on the business end of a nine person alliance. And that is going to be Sierra and Cass and Kelly Wentworth and of course, Abby Maria and Cass is going to be the first victim here. How does Sierra take being on the downside of this whole big alliance? Really not well. We'll see throughout this entire season, the rest of the season going forward, that when Sierra is playing from the bottom of the game, it doesn't always go so well. She has this you know, built-in reputation that she's always playing to win and playing to make these big moves. So when she's on the bottom, that's what she's going to start pulling that card out. And she's going to say, all right, well, I have nowhere else to turn. Somebody make a big move. Like anybody out there, anybody want to come play with me? And you know, it, it doesn't go over so well. So we get to this first, you know, the merge happens and Tasha and Cass are trying to work out where they are in the game, if they're going to work with each other, which there really is never a shot. And then after they have their conversation the next morning, Tasha and Cass are going to talk again and they're going to say, well, that didn't go so well yesterday when we talked, right? People start, you know, piling in on Cass and things aren't going well for her. Sierra makes a really, really bad call here when she just starts jumping in and she's she's barking at everybody just as much as Cass is and 
Savage is going to call them a two-headed dragon. He's he's saying like, you know, wow, these two are are going off for for no reason. They're going crazy right now. And Sierra makes up this lie about how Savage said that he was going to go after Jeremy and go after Joe. So once she realizes she's on the bottom, she gets very aggressive. It's like when you put like a dog into a cage and all they want to do is get out. And she's like, well, no, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stay in this cage. I, I want to go play the game and I, I want to get to the end and I want to win. Just because you guys have these numbers doesn't mean that I have to just sit here and take it. No, and it's the exact wrong approach. The right. worst thing that you can do in Survivor is when you're at the bottom, get that aggressive. That compare how she plays it to how Kelly Wentworth ends up playing it in that spot. And what you want to do that when you're down in the numbers is that you want to play dead. You don't want to be dead. Exactly. But you want to play dead. You want exactly. people to think like, eh, what's the use? Why even bother wasting a vote on this person? We've got bigger fish to fry. And when you are making yourself into that loud person that is really going to be a disruptor, you end up attracting that attention. You make it such an easy vote. Go back to this past season where there was, again, like this nine-person alliance, and you had somebody like Taylor who's just eating all the food. He's already a physical threat, and he's just putting that target, making it so easy for nine people to just come together and say, oh, yeah, no, it definitely has to be him. So that is not what you want to do, and I think that that's such a big adjustment that she needs to make if she is down do not come out swinging do not be sort of like that cornered tiger what you want to do is just be able to be much more passive in these situations i think in survivor what you want to do is that when you are in the lead you want to play offense and when you are down you want to just go back and play defense and just try to stay in the game as long as you can and wait for something to happen. Exactly. You hit it perfectly. If you're on the bottom, you need to to stop worrying about anybody else. If you're part of the alliance that's about to get pagonged, sit back, let them get pagonged and don't, you know, sit, talk to everybody and, and let them get taken out. And then eventually if you're still in the game and you're the only one left, then the odds are the majority of the the majority Alliance is going to start turning on itself. So if you can manage to, to not come out of the cage and be all aggressive and all this stuff, then you're probably putting yourself in a much better position nine out of 10 times. But it's a question with Sierra is if she has that ability to do that, you know, she, she wants to make these big moves all the time. And especially when she says she's playing for America, can she really sit back and just, you know, pretend that she's not caring anymore or that she's weak? You know, Tyson does this really well when Tyson gets hurt and then he milks it for the entire season. And he's like, oh, you know, you know, I'm hurt. Look at my arm. It's not good. Sierra needs to pull something off like that, but it's a question if she's capable of it or not. Yeah, You want to always appear weaker and in a worse position than you really are. And I think that she's just after the events of blood versus water, she just has like self-identified as this person who needs to be so aggressive, even when she's really that far down in the numbers, which turns out to really just make people more paranoid and put a bigger target on her back. So she's able to survive the cast vote. Then by the grace of the Kelly Wentworth idol play, she ends up being an important part of that, correct? Isn't she the person that tells Wentworth after Joey Amazing tells her about the votes coming for Kelly? I believe so. That sounds right. It's, I think she definitely started all of that. In the beginning of the episode for that uh, week or whatever, we see she's talking to Steven and she's saying, okay, let's start making a big move. And, you know, we're going to get really, you know, hit on the head with this big move stuff 
this is this is where that starts to play out. And she's going to say, Stephen, let's make a big move. Let's get out Joe at the next tribal council. And you know, it's going to keep his wheel spinning and it's going to keep anybody that she tries to, to swing over. She's going to say, all right, well, do something while you can, because you have this alliance that has a hundred people in it and there's only three of us. So take out somebody from your side who's really strong that you're not going to be able to get out later. And eventually, you know, she gets the information with, with the savage vote and then, you know, Kelly's able to use her idol and get him out of the game. So she dodges a bullet there. Okay. And the witches is now a full on thing with Kelly and Sierra and yes. Abby Maria, and they are going to be the target of that big alliance. But there's another plan that's going to develop one to take out Kelly Wigglesworth uh, with the witches teaming up with Stephen and Jeremy and Spencer. Who out of the witches would you say was the driving force to getting together? Or were they just sort of minding their own business and the Stephen, Jeremy and Spencer side approached them? Well, we know it wasn't Abby. No, um, I think it definitely it, it had to have been Sierra because the strategy that we were saying before that you should how you know how you should lay low and um, play dead a little bit. Kelly was trying to do that. It was hard for her to do that when she's playing an idol and people are seeing, oh, wow, she actually has some game to her, but she's still going to slip back you know, behind the cracks a little bit and, and try to let Sierra still play this, this big game for them so that she doesn't have to do it herself. So Sierra is going to keep having these conversations with Steven, keep his wheel spinning. And then he's like, all right, well, Wigglesworth is over there and she's Joe's number one ally. And, and they're, they're such a big group in the first place. So when Sierra says, well, I want to work with you, Steven, and we can put this together now and get rid of somebody who isn't going to work with you. Stephen bites and he says, all right, let's do it. It seems like then going back to Sierra and Spencer, that there was all this like connective tissue between the two of them. It's like they keep they're dying to work together in this season. And so any chance they can, they're on the same side of a vote, Sierra and Spencer. So that might have been part of that, because, again, we're going to have a vote where things are going to start to come together between the Sierra and Spencer side of things, where there is a coup to try to take out Stephen Fishback, make that big move. And she had it right there. She had Fishback in her sights. If it wasn't for Jeremy's idol, maybe she's able to turn this thing around in Survivor Cambodia. Yeah, it's hard to tell if she would have turned it around past that vote because everybody wanted to get Stephen out at some point. There was there was no way that people were letting him get to the end. Besides the fact that he was he was pretty much well liked for the most part. Maybe more outside the game. I don't know how well they were perceiving him inside the game. But it was hard to pick up on where he actually stood. Plus, he um, you know everybody saw Jeremy controlling all these people. He's going to play an idol for Stephen uh, tonight. So so we see that they're close. But the idol comes in here and completely knocks her off. And, you know, there's nothing that she can do at this point because Jeremy's got full control over the game. He's got like six idols in his pocket, just, you know, like two Val. from him, three from Val. Yeah. yeah. So he's got all the idols and he's going to use them on whoever he needs to use them on to get himself further. You know, it's interesting that I think that if Steven ends up getting voted out at this tribal council, that it looks good for Sierra on paper. But I just feel like that Spencer might have been the taking the will wall pendulum strategy strategy approach and because he ultimately when they do get steven out at that next vote he flips over and starts voting with jeremy and with tasha anyway it just seems like he wanted that steven seat in that yeah. alliance and so i think he might have still gone with that group and i don't know who else they would have needed in the numbers i guess they had kimmy as well 
and then uh, maybe just still gone ahead and taken out the people on that side rather than going with Sierra and Kelly to go to the final three with them. Right. They talk so much that uh, during Cambodia about voting blocks and, you know, everything is always shifting. There's not any solid alliance that's carrying them through the game. And, you know, while, while we might disagree with that watching it and we're going to say, OK, no, Jeremy and Tasha are an alliance. Anybody else that, that are voting together are probably allies. But they're, they're so hooked on this idea that there's no alliances, that there is voting blocks. So someone like Spencer can float his way through the game by by latching on to whoever he wants to vote with for that specific vote and in this circumstance you know it's a good idea for him to get rid of get rid of Wigglesworth. It's a good idea for him to get rid of Steven. They're not going to work together going forward. So while he doesn't, you know, he's not the one making this move, it's definitely good for other players besides Sierra to make these moves. And eventually, even if she gets Steven out here, she's still got this huge target on her back. She's the one pushing things around and people see it. Tasha says in this episode, Tasha says, it's the Sierra show and every move that's made is on her resume. All she did was throw out Steven's name yesterday and it was like, boom, done, like the Godfather. This one's next. So people see that she's the one in charge here and she's the one pushing things forward and they're not going to let her get to the end. Sierra does not get to the end. It's a what? Eighth place? Uh, She comes in 10th. 10th place. 10th place finish for Sierra in Survivor's second chance. And then I kind of thought it was going to be a bit of a layoff for Sierra if we saw her again. Certainly did not expect to see her back so soon, only but three seasons later. You know, you expected Wentworth to come back before Sierra was coming back again, but now here she is as a game changer. So let's just talk through a little bit more of these adjustments that she may need to make. We talked about this idea of if she's down in the numbers, if she's down in the score, that she needs to take her foot off the gas. But what are some things that she could be doing in the early parts of the game to end up not getting in that position? Well, one thing that she tries to do in Blood versus Water is link herself up with the power players. She sees Tyson wants to work with her. He's the one in control and she, she notices that and she wants to work with him going forward. So that's something that can really work for a player like Sierra. She's also known as somebody who's, you know, a, a can be a power player, can be dangerous. So if she can link up with another power player, with with anybody out there, you know, a, a Tony or a Sandra or Sari or somebody else that is going to be just as big of a threat as she could p- uh, potentially be, then she's she's probably going to be on the right track to start off with. She can't be the one that comes running out of the gate saying, all right, let's get rid of these big names because she's a big name herself. She, she has nowhere to hide. So if she wants to link up with a stronger player, then she's probably going in the right direction just at least until she eventually has to cut them if she can make it far enough to do that. Is there anything else that you think that she could potentially change up in her game for a third time? I think she needs to. And there's definitely things that she can improve on because like I said in the beginning, she's got all these different skills. She's she's very good at what she's good at in the game, but it's so hard with returning player seasons because just because you have these skills doesn't mean that, you know, you're the only one who knows about it. Everybody knows that she's good at what she's good at. So it's going to be hard for her to find, you know, people to work with long term that that want to you know, work with somebody who can potentially be as dangerous as her. She gets called dangerous in Cambodia by probably uh, Andrew Savage more than anybody else a, a few times. So people are aware of what she's able to do. So what she needs to change going into this next season is laying low from the beginning, but still like doing what she did in Blood versus Water. So lay low. Um, if she's able to sit out of the challenges early on, like she did in Cambodia go for it because it's another way to take heat off of you if your tribe loses, especially for somebody like her. 
So if she can lay low, stay under the radar and not be this you know big moves player right off the bat while also possibly working with some of the big moves players who are going to always be a bigger threat than her, then that's where she should go. Okay. Now, two-part question. Part one, do you think that she is capable of making these changes that I'm thinking of like an athlete that ends up like developing like a long swing or, you know, Tim Tebow's got a messed up throwing motion and you have like these coaches that think they could fix the person, but they're not able to. Do you think that the problem is fixable for Sierra? It's a really that's a it's a tough question because, you know, at least in my heart, I want to say yes. I want to say that she can do that. And I think that she probably can. But just in, in practicality and watching like watching the season play out in my head, I just don't know that she'll be able to do it. I think that at some point she because she's she's just always thinking and I, there's it's hard to see a scenario where she's not going to overthink herself out of the game every time that she plays. She's just such a strong competitor and and everyone's going to see it. So it's hard to say that she'll be able to you know adapt to a game with 20 other players who some of them can be just as aggressive if not more aggressive than her I, i'm not sure that i that i can comfortably say that she'll be able to pull it off and part two of this question is how tarnished is her reputation that can people trust her in a game after she has that table image of being this type of player that is this riverboat gambler they'll be able to trust her if she finds the right people to work with but the thing about you know all-star seasons is that you get you get out there and you look around and everybody has a reputation you're gonna go play with Sari, who has this reputation for being one of the best players to never win you're gonna be out there with tony who's this crazy you know tony no no one knows what tony's ever thinking so it's not just sierra who's gonna have this reputation going into the game but it's somebody like her who slips into the cracks and you know if she if she's letting herself do that that she can find a way to to not be the big moves player and have this reputation you know take over her i I, there was a quote that I, i wanted to make sure i got in here from steven in cambodia he says her sweet innocent face you never think that she's so devious she's someone who's willing to make moves in the game so he you know he he acknowledges that she's just got this sweet innocent face she's everybody's little sister she's just the the sweet little girl that's there and she's your friend so if she can keep working with that then you know hopefully she can make something happen this season okay well let's get into some people that could be potential allies for sierra and people that are going to be problems for her so she does start on this tribe which includes aubrey and Haley and michaela and sandra plus beast mode cowboy her castmate from survivor cambodia jeff varner malcolm tony and troyzan so of this group matt who do you think is going to be the most natural ally for Sierra? She could go with any different combination of people. That's that's one of the good things about Sierra that she is, she has a really good read on people, so she's able to see who is you know feeling working with her and who's not. Out of this group, I would probably say somebody like like an Aubrey or a Haley, who at least for Aubrey in you know in her case. Um, she's coming off of Korong and everybody's looking at her like she was really smart. Maybe she deserved to win. Maybe she didn't. But she's going to be somebody who's going to be look- looking for somebody to link up with that is going to be, you know, a bigger player in front of her, which is what I've been saying that Sierra needs to do. You know, Sierra needs to get um, a Sandra or a Tony in front of her to work with them. But I can see her aligning herself with somebody like an Aubrey or a Haley, um, maybe even somebody like like Michaela, maybe, you know. It's hard to predict where Michaela is going to go, but um, what she needs to do is 
connect herself with Tony or connect herself with Sandra or even Aubrey and, and move forward with one of them. In my recollection, I think that Sierra has always gotten along with the other young women that she's played yeah. with. It seems like that those are the people that she's connected with exactly. uh, very well on her time on Survivor. Now, connecting with some of these older male players that are she's going to be out there with, and maybe Malcolm is uh, kind of close to her in age, probably only a couple of years older uh, than she is. So of these men in her tribe, who do you think is going to be a natural ally? You mentioned trying to get together with Tony. I mean, the two of them do have these sort of tendencies to want to make these big moves and do have reputations of that people wonder how much they can trust them. Certainly Tony, much more so even than Sierra. Do you think that that's a potential fit? I think that they're going to run into each other and be terrified of each other. So I don't know that they're going to make it work because I think that Tony is such a scary person to, to want to work with after you saw what he did in Kageyan. It's going to be hard for him to, you know, make an alliance with everybody, but that's, you know, that's another podcast. Yeah. Um, so if, if she can find somebody like a Malcolm who is going to be calm, he's going to be loyal. He's going to just a side prediction. I don't see anybody going after Malcolm anytime soon. He's, he's going to want to work with the people that want to work with him. He's not seen as this big threat. So if she can link herself up with him, who, you know, in a way reminds me of somebody like Hayden, who, you know, they're both, you know, relatively common, you know, they'll stay loyal to, to Sierra. If Sierra is going to stay loyal to them, then that'll work. It's not going to work out with her and somebody like Jeff Varner. Jeff is, is always got his eyes open. He's always looking for, for who is his next target. And, you know, hopefully he can switch something up in this game because it's not worked for him twice now, but, um, he's always looking and seeing like, okay, this one's devious. Like Tasha's like doing, you know, Tasha's over here doing what she's doing. And I don't know how long I can trust her kind of thing. So, um, maybe somebody like Malcolm. I talked to Laura and Sierra on April 5th, 2014, which was the day after the Survivor Kagiyan merge. Did Sierra express any opinions about Tony at that time? Um, she was definitely, I, I did listen to this one. She was impressed with uh, his gameplay, just like everybody else was back then. But nobody really knew what to make of Tony back then. And, you know, they were on the same boat. And uh, Sierra and Laura are both Survivor fans. They watch it all the time. And, you know, that's how they got on the show and all this stuff. But, um, they they probably aren't as uh, you know in the super fan category as everybody else. So what they're seeing and what they're <laughs> yeah. analyzing from his game is probably more from like a casual perspective. Like let's turn the TV on on Wednesday night, watch sure. the episode, and and they see Tony you know running around hiding in spy shacks and everything. So I remember her saying that she was impressed with him, but uh, you know when you're about to go play with him, it's probably a different story. You know, and with Tony, it's important to remember that even at the time of the merge, he had not made some of his biggest moves in the game, which are going to be the votes out of LJ, the vote out of Jeffra, the vote out of Trish, the stuff that you really say, okay, yeah. but those are Tony's like signature moves in the game. So he sort of is probably more of just a, a crazy character than somebody that we're even considering as one of the big strategists of the season. So uh, it would have been good to talk to them later on uh, down the road in that season. But what are you going to do? Who knew three years later, uh, this is where we would be. I want to go and touch back to Jeff Varner, where they have some familiarity, though, from playing in that same season. Again, I wonder about how much people are going to trust Jeff Varner the same way I wonder how <laughs> much people are going to trust Sierra Easton. You don't think there's any chance that they could bond over that? Uh, they were out there with the same people. 
They watched the same season. They went through the finale together. No chance that, the, you know, familiarity, at least this is the devil that I know. There's definitely a chance. I mean, there's there's that connection there. And anytime that you have something to connect with somebody else over, it's a good thing. But I think if she's smart, she knows exactly what happened with Jeff Varner out there. And I don't know that I'm confident in anybody wanting to work with, with him. He's never the best ally, you know, out of all the options that you have out there because he's just always, he's always thinking and everybody sees that he's always thinking. He's always trying to, to do something in the game. And if she knows that about him, which she probably does, she, I mean, she didn't spend any time with him out there, but she knows that he, that he could be dangerous and she hasn't played with some of these other people before. So that's why I think going into Cambodia, she was, um, she mentioned like when she was talking to you that she wasn't really working with Vetus. She wasn't planning on it. At least they had, um, I don't know if they had talked or not, but she went out there and she wasn't thinking, okay, as soon as I get back with Vetus, this is going to be great. Vetus had animosity towards her based on the whole thing with her mom and that challenge of redemption island and all that stuff. So I don't think she goes into these seasons thinking, let me work with people that I've known before that I've met before that, you know, that I might have a, a bond with. I think she's just going to go out there, read everybody for um, how they interact with her and pick somebody who she just gets the best vibes from. Okay. And then I think another key cog for Sierra is going to be beast mode cowboy. I feel like that that's somebody that she will have a good relationship with. I think that she's going to probably not know anything about him from Big Brother, only what she saw in his very heroic edit from Survivor Korong. And I think yeah. that that's the type of guy that she's going to want to work with. That's a good call. That's, that's probably a, a very good call. But um, I think with with Caleb, it's going to be whoever gets to him first. It, it, similar type of thing with uh, Malcolm. It's just they're both going to be loyal to whoever wants to work with them, and they're both likable enough that people are going to want to work with them right off the bat. So if she can get to Caleb first with with an Aubrey or a Haley, and if they can form a group, then Caleb will be in her pocket as much you know as long as he needs she needs him to be. It's going to be the same thing with uh, with Malcolm. They, you know, these likable guys. You got to get them early and get them while you can. Talk to me about Sierra and the possibility of working with Sandra. Do you think that's a fit? I don't know. It depends on if their personalities go together out there. Some of these players, you know, we, we've never seen. Uh, well, of course, we've never seen them together before. But Sandra's, you know, loud, and she. I, well, that's later on that she'll get a little loud. But um, you know, she's. She's smart. She's played this game twice. She's won this game twice. But Sierra's also very smart. So this tribe is just full of smart people that are going to be able to read the other people right off the bat. And if Sandra and Sierra can link up, because like we said, Sierra is good with connecting with some of the women out there. Um, you know, she connected with Cass really well, and Cass and Sandra are not in the same boat at all. But she's able to connect with um, with the moms out there, so she's able to to you know relate to them. She is a mom herself, so you know if she can pull on cards like that, and you know if they can talk about their kids and bond over something like that, then there's no reason why she wouldn't be able to work with Sandra. I actually do feel like that Cass and Sandra are similar types of figures that are out there on Survivor, and certainly they have their yeah. differences, but I think that they're sort of like uh, different versions of uh, a similar archetype. The woman who's in her 40s, who's going to be able to uh, speak her mind freely. And uh, yeah. that's what we have with both of those people. And so with Cass, she was friendly with Sierra. Um, I don't know if uh, Cass and Sandra are friends. I feel like that there's some beef there, but I could just be making that up in my head. Yeah. You, but you have Tony here. And yeah. so 
that everybody knows who everybody's going to be on this cast. So, I mean, do you think that Sierra is sort of hesitant to work with Tony because she's friends with Cass? And, and, and if Cass is like, oh, you know, I'm telling you, don't trust Tony. I don't think she's going into the game with any uh, any preconceived ideas of who she does and doesn't want to work with. Uh, everybody might have that idea going into their heads, uh, you know, before they get out there. But I, I really do think that once you get out there, that all goes out the window. If you look back at like Cambodia, you had all these uh, players who wanted to probably work together. You had like the like the the RHAP alliance that never actually happened mm-hmm. with uh, you know all these people that were like Kelly and Steven and Spencer and maybe in an ideal world they could work together and they would want to work together and you know make it to the end because they had this connection before the game. But just you know on the opposite side of having a connection, even if uh, Cassie said to her, "Don't play with Tony." If she gets out there and she feels something good with Tony, she's going to play with Tony. You know, she's not listening to what her mom is saying or what anybody's saying. When has she trusted, you know, the opinion of her mom or of somebody else before her own? She's, <laughs> she's going to go make with her, her own gut. decisions. You're right. Exactly. So okay. uh, let me ask you really briefly about a couple of other people from the other tribe real quick. Fred Culpepper. Do we sense that all things are positive now with the Brad Culpepper relationship or is there still potentially friction? Uh, I would say that they're probably pretty close there. Uh, well, maybe not close, but there's probably no friction there. That entire cast, the fact that they're, you know, uh, blood versus water, there's family members involved. I think they all got pretty close after that season. Andrea Belke is here and Andrea and Sierra both went through the Miss Survivor machine in the early stages of 2014. But three years ago, do you think that there will be any animosity between Sierra and Andrea Belke for Andrea beating her out for Miss Survivor the same way we saw friction between Kelly Wentworth and Tasha from Miss Survivor, which spilled over into Survivor Cambodia. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I did go back and listen to this one, <laughs> and uh, the the other person that was in this final three with them was Candice. So if you remember, we had Sierra and Candice, and the two of them are, are teaming up and trying to you know, go against Andrea. There was a question in, I think, the finals round. I, I listened to way more than I needed to to prepare for this thing, mm-hmm. but they're talking about if you could pick one of the other two contestants to be the winner, mm-hmm. who would you pick? And Sierra picked Candace and Candace picks Sierra. So maybe there is something there that Andrea has something against Sierra for Mr. Survivor. You never know. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Sierra had a, a pretty good embarrassing moment, if I recall, from her interview with me for Miss Survivor. I don't remember. Yes. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Okay. okay. I'll, go, I'll go back and listen. Yeah. All right. So we'll see. The, that's the number one reason for bringing back Miss Survivor right now for me is that, you know, in some 2019 all-star season, we're talking about two people that uh, had a moment from Miss Survivor <laughs> that we're get to talk about for a future all-star season. But we got too much to worry about right now for, uh, for Miss Survivor. Anybody else that you think uh, from this other tribe that Sierra might have uh, a relationship with positive or negative? You know, not really in particular, not anybody specifically. I I really think that um, she's going to go out there and she's going to just feel it out when she gets there and she's going to see who wants to work with her. I think there's um, a really good chance with somebody like uh, like a Haley, who's just another, you know, uh, young female who, uh, you know, she doesn't know which way to go and Sierra's not going to know which way to go because it's just so tough when you first get out there trying to, to find an alliance. So if she can grab somebody like that and, uh, you know, anybody anybody who's willing to work with her, I think she'll she'll work with them. OK, Matt, give me a prediction for Sierra in season 34. 
uh, it kills me, but it's really not good. It's it's I just I don't see it. I I don't see it going in her favor. I think that I mean there there's so many different ways that Sierra can go playing this game, but with so many big names out there, and she's also one of them. She's I mean not as big of a name maybe as some of the other people. I just I don't see it ending well. I really wish that I did. I just I just don't. Okay, what's the prediction? I said pre-merge last time and that didn't work, but I'm going to say pre-merge this time, unfortunately. Pre-merge. Okay, early pre-merge? Like, are you think that she has first boot upside? Uh, I don't know about first boot. I mean, hopefully she can find a way to survive that, but if she ends up on the bottom of that tribe and they go into the first tribal council and... She'd be a candidate. She would be a candidate if they went to that first tribal council. Yeah, she, she's big move Sierra. There's there's definitely a chance that she could be the first one. Right. And that would break my heart, but no, it's possible. Really, if she ended up going to that first tribal council and she was sensing that she was on the hot seat in the first, that, like that is like ultimate worst case scenario for oh, her yeah. because she's going to come out swinging. She really needs to get her feet under her for a couple of votes and then get under the radar and that's where she can do some damage. That's where she can, if she can be the person that we saw in survivor blood versus water and get out of being hail Mary Sierra, uh, she got to get back to that running game. But if, if she doesn't start on that kind of position, then, you know, there's, there's not much hope left. So establish the run Sierra. That's what we need to do. Okay. Right. All right. Take, take the crown from uh, Andrea. <laughs> All right. Uh, Matt, great stuff. Uh, this was very fun to go through everything with Sierra. You did a great job of doing all this research. So thank you very that. much. Uh, if people want to reach out to you on social media, what's the best way for people to find you? I'm on Twitter just with everybody else. So once the season gets going, I'll be live tweeting with everybody else. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Matt Ligori if you want to come find me and we'll talk about Sierra and everybody else on this crazy cast. All right. Great job, Matt. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. I appreciate it. Bye. All right, everybody. There you have it. Matt Ligori talking with me about Sierra Easton. I was so high on Sierra Easton going into the last time she played. When Josh Wiggler and I recorded The Evolution of Strategy, it was the summer in between when they left for Survivor Second Chances and when they aired it. And I watched that season 27, Blood versus Water, and I was so impressed with what I saw from her on that first season. I was all in on Sierra Easton the last time around. So we'll see how it goes this time. But I think that I might have fallen out of love with Sierra the player after second chances. We'll see how it goes. Again, Sierra the person, still fantastic, but I'm I'm concerned. I have concern going into this new season. Okay, so somebody else I watched way back when in the Evolution of Strategy, of course, which is available, evolutionofstrategy.com if you want to get more of a deep dive into Survivor Blood versus Water. Watched Brad Culpepper. We saw him on the stage during the finale of Survivor Worlds Apart. The last time that we saw sight of Brad Culpepper, here he is. He's back. Here's my conversation with Ari Ferrari. All right, everybody. I'm very excited to talk about this next person who I think perhaps personifies the name Game Changer. He is back after it seemed like a close call in Second Chances. Felt like he was right there. But now finally, the triumphant return of Brad Culpepper. We're going to do a deep dive into it with our buddy Ari Ferrari. Rob, thanks for having me. I'm doing this for Monica. Yes, yes, you have to do it for Monica. Ari, how are you? I'm doing well, Rob. I'm doing well. I uh, was able to watch the entire career of Brad Culpepper (laughs) 
in a shorter amount of time than it takes to watch Titanic. <laughs> I think you're going to say the entire NFL career. I thought you went back and watched all of his Tampa Bay Bucks games. <laughs> that was part of the assignment. You had to go through and watch all of his game tape, which I did learn. He was coached by Jimmy Johnson. Yes. Oh, there's another survivor connection. That is a lie. Sorry, guys. That is not true. <laughs> All right. So here we are to talk about Brad Culpepper. And I do think that there are some fun things to talk about here with Brad. But before we get into the Brad Culpepper of it all. Ari, for anybody in the Survivor community who has not interacted with you yet, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Well, uh, again, my name is Ari, and I am neither a Survivor player or a blogger. I don't illustrate for blogs. I don't do podcasts. So I am actually a creator of nothing. Uh, but you can follow all that nothing uh, at Ari Ferrari on Twitter. Yes. A prolific tweeter and you say creator of nothing but you have created over 17,000 tweets in your career so uh that don't scoff at that i'm scoffing no no scoffing okay all right let's get into this so i think that people may be surprised uh, that you wanted to talk about Brad Culpepper but you were not alone in that that Brad Culpepper was i think like the second or third most requested person that we had from all of the game changer applications that we got rob i think it boils down to one thing he is the easiest assignment uh, <laughs> again you can take 4 hours and uh, now you're talking to rob on rhp <laughs> yeah Okay, well, you were the chosen one, and here you are to talk about uh, the chosen one, Brad Culpepper. All right, so here we are in Brad Culpepper, of course, that he makes his debut into Survivor lore in season 27, the Blood versus Water season, where he returns, or his wife returns, Monica Culpepper, who played in Survivor One World. So do you want to start off by talking about things you learned about Brad upon a rewatch of that season? The first thing you think of when Brad, it's uh, it's probably it's probably a big joke. He's not a game changer. But when you actually rewatch it, he's not that bad of a, of a survivor player. He just had different elements, different layers he had to think of. And there was no blueprint for uh, there's never been a season like the one he had played in. And. His goal from preseason interviews was to protect Monica and to look out for her, make sure she makes it as far as she can. But when you actually break and actually look at his game, it's not as bad as you initially think. And ultimately, he is a game changer. He created the idea of getting a clue, a public a publicly given clue and throwing it into the fire. How many times on know-it-alls do you and Steven go and discuss getting a public clue and not making a big deal out of it. You have to get rid of it so you get to eliminate the target off of your back. And uh, that's that's a Brad Culpepper idea. Anytime you're saying it, you're copying the game changer, Brad Culpepper. Yeah, I mean, and that sort of did predate the arrival of a lot of these advantages that we're going to see in uh, these different seasons of Survivor, whether we're talking about like the Tyler Perry idol or different advantages that players got in worlds apart or like Steven got in second chances or this super powered idol, or even some of the stuff that showed up with Adam Klein's reward steal. That's definitely been a thing that we've talked about of, you know, are you better off just getting rid of this advantage at the moment that you get it? And of course, when in survivor blood versus water, we had a redemption Island. It was like a bugaboo of who do you want to give the clue to the idol to the person that won the redemption Island duel was able to award the clue to somebody and after I believe it was John Cody got voted out of the game after that he got the clue from Candace 
that then it looked like they were trying to put the hex on Monica after Candace won another duel. And then he insisted that she throw it in the fire. And not just that, but immediately afterwards, the same thing happens with uh, with Laura Moret and she gives it to Vetus. He's copying Brad yeah. immediately. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. So he really does have something to uh hang his uh, Brad Culpepper hat on. Okay, so let's talk about Brad in terms of the strategy of the game that he played. And I mean, for somebody who's only on the first four episodes before he gets voted out and then going to Redemption Island, he does have a lot of airtime in those four episodes. He was a bit of a, a bit of a villain in the first couple of episodes. And and I guess you could say uh, his, his story of the whole show was, here's this lightning rod for controversy, Getting uh, and then ultimately um, uh, he he gets his comeuppance is essentially the the story of Brad. So, uh, yeah, he's a he's a very entertaining figure for the first couple of days that he's on there. The Tampa Bay lightning rod. I think that's what they call him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Brad is uh, sort of the captain of the. It's not the fans tribe, but they're the loved ones tribe. Uh, Todd Hanna, I believe, correct? That is correct. Yes. And he he ends up leading that tribe. And what people forget is the, the season was imbalanced with male versus female. And right off the bat, he connected with the alpha males. He was in his element with Hayden, with John Cody and uh, uh, Vetus and, and even even with Caleb. So. He was in his element. It was almost set up as as well as it could have in terms of social game. Yes. And it was very early on that Brad Culpepper figured that with this group of all men, that would give him a majority or would it in a group of nine? Is it four or, or five into nine? Uh, four? Well, actually, it's four guys and a gay, I think, is the alliance. Yes, I believe that is uh, what he said. That's how he branded it. That is a Brad Culpepper quote. Yes. Okay. Talking about uh, the late great Caleb Bankston in that scenario. But he really did make that line famous of five into nine equals out or in. So but eventually he figures it out and that his group of five would hold strong. But very quickly, Brad Culpepper feels like that there is something amiss in his group. After Rachel Folger gets voted out of the tribe, then Things go sour between Brad and John Cody. What was the issue there with him and John Cody? The the bromance dies very, very early after enjoying a, a beautiful waterfall uh, adventure and high-fiving each other there. Uh, I think what ends up happening is this goes back to the layers. Brad had been yelled at at Redemption Island from by people that have already been eliminated from the game. And as Steven says, it's non-canon on exit interviews. And yet here we are in Redemption Island. People are slurring his name. We've got F you, Brad Culper, Culpepper. We have middle fingers. And, and so he decides, I am sick of the yelling. Let me get rid of John Cody, who doesn't have a loved one unless she's uh, on Redemption Island. And that's the route he went with with the strategy. And he finishes he finishes it by saying to John Cody, you have you trusted the wrong person, which was who Rachel or him. He said that to John. You made a wrong decision in trusting me. <laughs> he says that to John Cody at Redemption Island. So uh, that's some insight into the, the Brad Culpepper game. Now, when John Cody has the clue for the island, does he share it with Brad Culpepper or he doesn't share it with Brad and that's what makes Brad upset? He verbally tells him what the clue is, but never actually shows 
him the clue and they don't necessarily go out together looking for the clue, but they do discuss it. He does share it. But uh, the act of not visually showing him the the clue is what really sets Brad off a little bit. So things are beginning to sour between Brad and some of the other members of his alliance as well, where there is a lot of open talk. Uh, between Hayden and Vetus and Caleb about doing something, but it really it's the women that are his undoing here with uh, Sierra and Katie Collins, fellow game changer Sierra Easton. So, could you talk about the falling out that Brad starts to have with the women? Because this is going to be important since Sierra's there too. From what I understand and from what it looked like, the the guys were all together on their final uh, strategy talk, their strategy walk, and. Uh, Brad stays behind and he tries to do the whole uh, the whole fake target and he mentions he mentions Caleb and it made it made Caleb a little nervous to know one that he's late to this strategy walk and number two that it's his name that's being thrown out there and so at tribal council it finally clicks with Caleb uh, and that's what forces the the tie to between Sierra and Brad. How much friction had there been between Brad and Sierra? Was it the kind of thing where did he not even realize that she didn't like him? It's very interesting. I don't I don't think there was much, if any, a very seasoned and very good eye roller in Sierra Easton. Didn't have many eye rolling moments in uh, at least towards Brad that we saw. Uh, I and, and very interesting in the first episode, you actually see Brad and Sierra comp- uh, connecting. When Sierra brings up her teenage pregnancy, Brad says that if one of his daughters or one of his kids came home, he would welcome them with open arms if they if they uh, had a teenage uh, teenage pregnancy. So that actually did a little, uh, I, I guess, a little calming down for Sierra. But down the road, you don't really see much in terms of uh, in terms of friction friction between them let's talk about the fateful tribal council where brad goes home because this is really one of the better pre-merged tribal councils that there is where we end up caleb has had enough of brad culpepper caleb has had enough this tribal council makes one of your uh, best pre-merge episodes ever uh, if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. and and also it's a game-changing tribal because the tie vote was between brad and sierra if sierra goes home we don't see her vote out her mom. Is she a game changer? Does she get a second chance? Yeah. So there is an alternate timeline without Sierra and uh, with Brad uh, making it uh, making it much further into the game. So uh, it it changes not just the season, but really the, the course of Survivor history. Well, sure. I mean, Caleb really draws a line in the sand and says, hey, you know what? I'm voting for Brad tonight. So you guys can do what you want. I'm voting for Brad. I'm voting with Sierra and voting with Katie. So he flips his vote to make it a 3-3 split. And then Vetus on the revote ends up being the fourth vote against Brad Culpepper. So that the Vetus avoids a rock draw as well to go on to become a Survivor All-Star himself, Ari. That, that is right. And then uh, after he leaves, Brad shows that he has good sportsmanship and tries to shake Caleb's hand and lets him know that uh, that he's not mad. He's yeah. not mad, which is interesting because Brad in his bio says he hates long goodbyes. And here he is. I feel like from this point on, from then until he ultimately is off the show, 
I feel like that he's a little bit like the dog that went to the bathroom on the floor and, and like he like he just basically like has his head down and he's just like trying to say to Caleb, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He goes to Redemption Island with Candace and John Cody. And I feel like that he's uh, very earnest from that point until he leaves. He, he does seem a little genuine and he seems like he feels like I, I guess he got humbled. Right. Yeah. Here's this alpha guy who got outfoxed by uh what he would perceive to be to be weaker people he kept uh he kept targeting the women due to their lack of physical prowess and the challenges and so i i legitimately think he was humbled and hopefully uh it helps him well at least for him and hopefully it helps him out in uh in, in game changers and puts a little bit of a smaller target on his back okay. now ultimately brad goes out of the game but Monica ends up going to the final three. Did they talk to Brad at all during the finale of Blood vs. Water? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, he was quiet. There, there was nothing he said. Uh, too many people plugging, plugging their Twitters. <laughs> Apparently. So going back to that Monica final three appearance, do you feel like that Brad took anything from her experience with him into season 34? I think Brad is one of the toughest people to gauge as far as how's this going to work out. On one hand, he did sound humble. He sounded like he uh, he might have learned his lesson. He says his biggest mistake was not reassuring Caleb of the vote. And he says that that was his downfall. So he is aware of that. So he, he is able to learn. On the other hand, an alpha athletic former football player. Sometimes you are who you are. Can't can't. Can he rein it back? Uh, who knows? I, I'm not sure. He's smart enough. We keep forgetting Brad is not just an NFL player, but he's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine him in the courtroom? I can. In fact, there's a, a wonderful commercial of him that in my head, I always set to the the, the people's court music, uh, which is phenomenal. But uh, with Brad, his personality might just be what it is. A yeah. very intense challenge only kind of guy so Ari did you happen to listen to my interview my exit interview with Brad following his run on blood versus water it was a game-changing exit interview I think the only one in RHEV history that has a spoiler warning in front of it <laughs> but essentially he goes back to not reassuring not giving some of his tribe mates and some of his alliance mates reassurance as his biggest uh, biggest downfall so but yes that was uh and again he goes back to being spoken about at Redemption Island which uh, which is uh, not Canon. Mm-hmm. So in that exit interview with him, if I recall correctly, I, I had to say that, look, I think that if you're very spoiler averse, don't listen to this interview because he just kept implying that like, yeah, what I did, it didn't work out for me, but I guess we're going to have to see how it plays out for Monica. I guess we'll know then, right? That is correct. And throughout the entire time, even in pregame interviews, he said his only concern is Monica. Anything he does will be about her. He said he's going to play second fiddle. So it's going to be fascinating to see how someone who played the game as hard as he did as a second fiddle is going to play as the as the, fir- the first fiddle over here. Yeah, so that if we take everything he says as canon, a lot of what he does is to try to help Monica in the game and try to eliminate people who could be threats gunning for her. And so now it's Brad's turn. Hey, Survivor is Monica's thing. Yes. 
Survivor's Monica's thing. But now Brad is uh, going to have to ask what's best for Brad. It might be end up being what's best for Monica. Well, he has a. Uh... He has his entire uh, family tat- tattooed all over his body, so he may not even need a family visit in order to get the the last push for uh, for any motivation for the end game. So now going back to Brad and his game in season twenty seven, are there any other misconceptions you want to clear up about Brad Culpepper that people might have wrong about him? Brad did not shush anybody. You can <laughs> you can watch it for yourself. You can ask John Cody. There was no shushing. Okay. Why? Who's accusing him of shushing? He didn't say it. Well, uh, Candace goes out yelling, saying that Brad was shushing the women, which he didn't do. He didn't do that. Okay. He's wrongfully accused of all that. (laughs) (laughs) If only he had a lawyer he can go to to protect him. Yeah. All right. So then Brad Culpepper was in the mix for season 31 and getting his second chance to play the game. Brad Culpepper, I believe, was one of only like four or five people who was not able to connect with me for one of the interviews to go back. And I remember hearing like through the grapevine, a overconfident Brad Culpepper telling second chancers, oh, I'm in. Like, uh, I don't need to campaign. Casa de Culpepper. Yes, yes. Uh, There were rumors flying about that. They told him he didn't need to worry about the vote, but apparently he did because he was left there at the front of the stage with Joe Anglum and Spencer and Jeff Probst got down there and said, all right, two of you are getting into the show. (laughs) Could it be more obvious you're not getting on? Yeah. And again, Brad, I thought looked uh, very humbled in that spot, too. He's like, ah, these guys are good. They're going to they're going to go. Here we are now, Brad Culpepper, coming back for season 34. All right, is there anything that you might hazard a guess that he might make an adjustment? I know he's a tough guy to read going into season 34. I think it mostly hinges on who is he on the tribes with. There are certain personalities you you're gonna you're seeing on the on the show that you know for a fact he's gonna connect with. There's no doubt he's gonna bro down with Ozzy. He says in his bio. One of his favorite players is Ozzy, mm-hmm. as well as the first time Scoopin played. But uh, we won't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. It's a good choice. But what you're saying is that you think that it's probably a safe bet that Brett Culpepper is going to, you know, just like an NFL coach, that he's going to bring the same playbook with him to season 34 that he ran. He's still running the Brett Culpepper offense. He's like Chip Kelly. Brett Culpepper is essentially having a press conference saying he won't run those same plays, but he probably will run those same exact plays. <laughs> okay, so he's going to say that he's going to turn over a new leaf. He's kind of like a Rex Ryan in another stop. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Brad Culpepper is going to Brad Culpepper. So we think that Brad Culpepper could try to get the band back together and reform this all-male alliance. And he is, I think, uh, probably set up in a cushy landing spot to try to do this. Uh, You mentioned Ozzy as a potential ally. You don't think that there's any chance that Ozzy and Brad Culpepper don't see eye to eye? There is no chance. I think both of those guys value the same exact things that some of us as viewers don't like. <laughs> they always value the challenges. And I, I think they're, they're, they're going to connect on that. And Brad has a thing. He doesn't want any John Cochran types to win, which I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, probably scars Ozzy a little bit. Well, I think that they're probably simpatico in that viewpoint. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. They're probably connecting about no John Cochran types. But that being said, I think that Brad certainly is going to be intrigued by the idea of Ozzy. But do you think that there's any possibility that Ozzy doesn't love Brad Culpepper? If we go back to Survivor Blood versus Water, Tyson famously said to Brad Culpepper that, you know, all you are is big. You're not going to be good at these challenges. And I wonder if that, you know, Ozzy and Tyson have sort of like a a laid back attitude that doesn't necessarily jive with Brad Culpepper's intensity. Maybe if Brad votes out Ozzy's girlfriend. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Which is (laughs) certainly a possibility of happening. (laughs) This is true. Yeah, (laughs) that could well happen. Uh, So Brad Culpepper also has JT here. And to me, this seems like an even more natural friendship in the making. Absolutely. Both of those guys, again, value just about the same exact things in a in, in a in a survivor game. And the the, the big question is going to be who's going to be is is Brad going to be the Stephen Fishback? Boy, <laughs> I don't think that anybody's ever said that before. <laughs> so it's an interesting question, though, in terms of Brad Culpepper, JT and Ozzy. If they do form uh, this sort of axis power together, who is the conductor there? Who's driving the train? It's probably going to be it's probably going to be JT, wouldn't it? JT. You think that Brad Culpepper is going to play second fiddle to JT? If JT can be his Monica, he can play second fiddle. Mm. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see uh, how that power breakdown goes and if they see eye to eye. And certainly in the challenges, you know, if they can maybe come together in the challenges, they won't need to worry about who goes home as much. But they may have different views on uh, who's the next person to go. And if Brad isn't necessarily the one who's calling the shots, how he's going to react to that. But what about uh, some of these other people that Brad had a five guys alliance back in season 27? The other two guys in this group are Ty and Zeke. Do you think that Brad is going to work well with those two? I think when it comes to Ty, it might depend all on Ty. Mm-hmm. Ty was comfortable up to a point working with Scott and Jason. I don't think Brad is on the same personality level as those two guys. But if Ty was willing to work with those guys to further himself just a little bit more, I don't see why. Why not with why not with Brad? Why not with uh, with the other guys? Now, the interesting one, I think, is is probably Zeke. And it goes back to once again. No John Cochran types winning this game. If he still has that mentality, we have Zeke, who's an unknown, who might be an easy target for the sake of saying, let's not make a fool out of ourselves by letting this guy get further. We don't know who he is. And so just based on that philosophy and the fact that Zeke is an unknown, he might be a he might be a Brad Culpepper target. Yeah, that certainly is a possibility. Just going back to Ty for a moment. Now, Ty did work with Kyle Jason and Scott Pollard back in Survivor Co-Wrong, but it didn't really go great for Ty. He didn't really love working with those guys. Do you think that he's going to be so quick to get back in bed Survivor-wise with a professional athlete? Well, Brad never never poured water over the campfire. Brad is actually uh, he's a provider. We I actually forgot myself. He was the guy out there fishing. He was feeding the tribe. He was helping build a shelter. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put Brad on the same level as those two guys. I I I, re- I, I think that's a little uh, I think it's a little off, although uh, although it might 
it might trigger some things for for Ty to not want to do that. Now, going back to Zeke, Zeke did have a bond with the former football player in Survivor Millennials versus Gen X. You don't think that he could potentially strike up that bond with Brad? I don't think Brad's a boomer sooner, is he? No, I don't think so. But <laughs> I mean, just they can't bond over football. Well, hopefully Brad brings any if he has any championship rings. So he went to college in Florida. So that doesn't help uh, Zeke. And I was thinking that maybe he might have been on uh, that Bucks team that will beat the Raiders in the Super Bowl. But now he retired in 2000. So uh, he might have gone to the uh, NFC championship game with uh, Sean King, right? <laughs> <laughs> that that you remember that one? That was like the worst <laughs> offensive team ever in the NFC Championship game. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's then uh, talk about Brad Culpepper and the women. That's always his bugaboo, getting along with the women in his tribe. And so here we have in this tribe that he's going to play on. He has Andrea. He has Suri. He has Debbie. He has Sarah Lucina and he has the fan favorite, Sierra Dawn Thomas. Do you see anybody here that stands out as a potential ally for Brad Culpepper? I look at Sarah and uh, and especially Sierra. Sierra Dawn Thomas is clinging on to to Brad or or letting letting him be a bit of a shield for them. But uh, I, I, those two strike me and they really stand out. I'm trying to remember which of the women in Blood versus Water Brad had the best relationship with, and I can't really say Monica. that one of them stand out. Besides Monica from. <laughs> the Todd Hanna, certainly not Marissa, uh, not Sierra, not Katie Collins and not Rachel. Yes, really none of the women. It was really a <laughs> dicey situation. <laughs> Do you think that he is just going to bond with the most physically fit of the women or, or they bond with him? Um, uh, I think we have to put that into consideration too. If there are, uh, alliances that are made very early and you start seeing the numbers start to grow, you might just go for it to feel safe. This is a, this is an all-star season. And the last thing anyone wants is just to be sent home first. So it, it might just be a desperation move for any of them too, but that could be the case. I feel like that Brad is the type of guy who relies very heavily on the scouting report. Not necessarily that he went back and studied the film, but he knows the one or two line bio on people, kind of like an Andrew Savage of like, oh, Stephen Fishback, like, oh, I hear he's a sneaky player. Got to get rid of him. I feel like that that is going to play very negatively for Sari and potentially Andrea. Those were the exact two I had in mind for the ones that could be in trouble. Sari and Andrea, they they both have their 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 reputations, and the last thing Brad needs is uh, any of those guys thinking thinking even more than he does out yeah. there. That certainly uh, could be a factor. Is either of them, do you think, a bigger target in the mind of Brad Culpepper? Bigger target in the sense of uh, of needing to eliminate or a bigger target than him? No, a bigger target in that he needs to eliminate one of them. <laughs> I think it needs to be Suri, right? I mean, I, I, I think it has to be Suri. Yeah, uh, certainly could be problematic. I'm trying to think back that maybe is it possible that Suri might have played so long ago last that she is just <laughs> off of Brad Culpepper's radar. Yeah, the scouting reports in VHS, so he's not able to really, uh, really make through on what's happening. Yeah. Although I would love the the buddy cop of Suri and Brad. I, I think it would just be phenomenal to watch him go through through the end 
Well, I do feel like that for Sari, that would be a winning combination. I feel like that she needs to bond with one of these challenge beasts. So I think that that would be good if she could sort of pair up and be sort of like a surrogate Monica for Brad, if she could make that happen. I agree, but I am no Sari expert. (laughs) No Sari Bob. That's right. Uh, (laughs) And then, uh, Andrea, anything you want to say of note about her relationship with Brad Culpepper potentially? I don't. I don't think there's much of anything other than she's a she's a mover and a shaker. She certainly is a big mover. Okay. Uh, so speaking of big movers uh, on the other tribe, there's a couple of people of note. I want to highlight with uh, Brad Culpepper. Uh, certainly Sierra Easton is there a familiar face for Brad. Do you think that he is more likely to work with her because he knows her or there's too much bad blood between them? I think they'll work together. Too much bad blood versus water. (laughs) Well, at least they know each other and uh, may or may not have been uh, an invited guest to Casa del Culpepper. But Mm -hmm. I I think they'll I think they'll work together. I mean, better someone, you know, and at least know what their faults are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think that she's going to be gunning for him. And I think that is at least somebody that he knows out there. So I think that that's probably a positive for him. Now, I think that one of the underreported stories here is Brad Culpepper and his familiarity with Troy Zan on a couple of levels. One, they both were in the mix for Game Changers. I believe that Troy Zan makes his home in Florida, uh, perhaps uh, that they are geographically in the same region. And then most importantly, Troy Zan came through Survivor One World with the aforementioned Monica Culpepper. If I were not here talking to you and Troy Zan was not on this season, I think you'd be talking to him. Okay. Troy Zan is a huge Brad Culpepper <laughs> fan. How do you know? Let me read some of his tweets. This goes back to Blood versus Water. We've got Troy Zan live tweeting. He goes, Brad effing Culpepper exclamation point exclamation point love the love at monica culpepper hashtag survivor there you go six october 16 2013 we've got another one where he's standing up in a clotting troy zan robertson it takes one hell of a stand-up guy to tell everyone that just voted you out that you're not mad at them huge respect brad culpepper right which coming from my from Troy Zane is is beautiful. Yeah, zero percent chance that Brad Culpepper and Troy Zane won't work together if they can ever end up on the same beach. If they're on the same island, it's Troy Zane. It's Troy Zane's island. Troy Zane and Brad's island. Okay, Beast Mode Cowboy is another one that I feel like uh, a good potential ally for Brad Culpepper. Quite possibly for the same reasons we like JT and 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 Ozzy, don't we? But. We saw so little of Caleb. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we saw a lot of his big brother game, but his survivor game, we, uh, who knows? He, he might, he might fall in love with, uh, with someone else out there and, uh, and temper his own game on based on that. Is there anybody else from this other tribe that you want to highlight in regards to Brad Culpepper? As far as relationship I have, I don't see anything really going except I want to see Sandra yell at him at least one time. Yes. Yes. I think we'll get our money's worth from this season if we could see that one time. Anything about Tony and Brad Culpepper that you think is a good fit or not? Who's going to have their wheel spinning the fastest yeah. and digging their own uh, digging their own uh, bigger hole? Tony did not love Cliff Robinson, so I think it's possible that he is not going to be a fan of another professional athlete. But I don't know if anybody's going to hold Brad in the same regard that Wu was holding Cliff Robinson. Yeah, people liked Cliffy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so who knows? All right. 
it feels to me like the stars are aligned here for Brad Culpepper. I mean, if you were going to sort of like dream up a scenario for Brad Culpepper to farewell, it would be harder to find a softer landing spot for him. You, you really can. It's almost it's almost perfect. The, I think the only thing that'll really hold him back is himself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if he can take uh, just one chill pill, I think he'll be all right. All right. Yeah. At least like you would think that he'll get to the murder like. I just want to make it to the point where I could see Monica. I just need to get to the point where I could see Monica. Just keep me in the game. You guys can vote me out. Just get me to the point where Monica can come. And he's got good sportsmanship. He'd be a great juror. Ari, you don't think there's any chance that Brad Culpepper can go the distance here, do you? Is that possible? Rob, do you want the real answer or the entertaining answer? <laughs> Give me the real one. There's no chance. Okay, good. <laughs> A very underrated element, I feel, of returning seasons is, do we want this person that won representing us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for the same reasons I didn't see Keith winning and, and having all of those people that have waited 10, 15 years to come back and giving it to Keith, I don't, I don't see it with Brad. Now, do you think that Brad will give us a lot of entertainment? Oh, absolutely. Okay. He, he is nothing if not entertaining. And to quote you on it... You mentioned we need players like Brad on this show to play the game 50,000 miles an hour right out of the gate to help start the drama going. They won't win, but it'll be fun. Yeah. Where did I say that? TOS? TOS season 27. Okay. From the eulogy for Brad Culpepper. <laughs> yeah. You do need people that are sort of like the early movers who can't help themselves to say, okay, this is the group of five. This is what we're doing. We're going to the end. And then, you know, ultimately, then you need other people to come along and break that stuff up. So we will see. All right. All right. Is there a Brad Culpepper hashtag you want to get out into the world? We didn't mention it, but I think one of the funniest things about Brad is just the way he wears his buff. It cracks me up. <laughs> How does he wear it? He wears the buff just on his head, but then he puts a hat over it. Mm-hmm. So you can't see the front part of the buff and it makes it look like a mullet and it's very distracting. <laughs> so let's go with hashtag buff mullet. <laughs> hashtag buff mullet all right so very exciting stuff with brad culpepper one of the season 34 returnees all right the great ari ferrari is on twitter of course you could follow him at ari ferrari uh anything else you want to get out there about brad or yourself i think that pretty much settles it but i'll leave you with this i found out brad culpepper is an Eagle Scout. So just to, just think of him in that uniform. I think he's an Eagles fan. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so an Eagle Scout. All right. So uh, who knew? Imagine him with the little bandana and just tied around his neck. Or at least the bandana underneath the hat and uh, a bandana mullet. <laughs> Over Lil. You have some competition. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, all right. Uh, thank you so much. Great job. And then uh, let's see how uh, Brad Culpepper works out this season. Thanks for having me, Rob. All right. Take care. All right, everybody. There you have it. Ari Ferrari. I thought that was a lot of fun to go through Brad Culpepper. Thought he did make a good point that he's got a claim to Brad Culpepper being a game changer more than a lot of the other people that are out there for this season. So there you go. Brad Culpepper. He changed the game. He's doing it for Monica and he'll be back this season in just one week's time as March 8th is the premiere of Survivor Game Changers. We've got one last Game Changer interview to go. We are going to be talking about Michaela Bradshaw and Ty Trang in our final entry in this series. First, 
We're going to be talking with Cam Perry, who we saw during the So You Think You Can podcast competition. He's going to be talking about Michaela. And then we're going to be talking Ty Trang with Casey Featherston as we put a bow on all of the Game Changers cast preview. That is going to be on Friday here on Robin's podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Rob has a website dot com slash iTunes to subscribe. So again, special thanks to our sponsor five, four club for this episode of the podcast. Again, for the double pack this month only use promo code R A J P at five, four club.com. Looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the comments. And of course on social media, take care, everybody have a good one.